We're turning to the Word of God and to the Gospel according to Mark. And chapter 3, please. And just open your Bibles there at Mark's Gospel. Chapter 3. We'll not be turning to any other scriptures tonight. The title of our messages for these May meetings are As it was in the days of King Herod, so is it in the days of Charles, King of England. Seven great similarities are comparable in both these times. I have been not only reading the Word of God, but also studying some secular history regarding the compatible comparisons of both these days. Now, there are seven that stand out, but of course there's a multitude of similarities because the days of Herod lasted, days of the Herods lasted a long time. But there's seven in particular to which I am calling your attention to uh, for these meetings that we're doing. Three of them are negative and four are positives. I want to quickly outline tonight, just in passing, what I did last week and then lift out maybe only one tonight is all we'll have time to do. Just to give you a quick resume of what uh, we were saying last week, to keep it in your mind, these were days of great reproach. The nation was in captivity once again. Many times Israel was in captivity. But they're in captivity in these days to the imperial power of the brutality of Rome. So we have the reproach of the people. Secondly, we have the retreat because most of them capitulated under the pressures and the powers of the tyranny of Rome and many of them abandoned the principles and the precepts of their Jewish faith. So there was the reproach and there was the retreat and then there was the reunion. And when I talk about reunion, that's the one we're going to look at tonight. A union that forged together on a number of occasions to destroy the gospel and to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the resolve. And if we do have a minute at the end, we'll look at something of the resolve of a remnant who stood their ground in the midst of these dark days. There wasn't many of them but there were a number, and they stood their ground in the midst of, of the darkness. And thank God there are men and women who are standing their ground today in the midst of a similar darkness. So there was a resolve, and then there's the repentance. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. And as a result of preaching repentance, then there was revival. 
and scores were swept into the kingdom of God. And then there was finally the release when they were released from the bondage of Rome and set free through the mighty work of Calvary at the cross. So there's plenty in this, and we will not get them finished in, in, in the month of May, but we will touch some things and maybe carry on over the network uh, to finish the rest of them, I don't know. But I want to spend most of our time tonight looking at the reunion or the union that was forged between the religious fundamental Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and the wicked Herodians. There's a number of occasions in the gospel where these two people came together and they came together for the one purpose. So we want to look at them. We're reading in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, down to verses 1 to 6. Now let's read these scriptures very carefully. The Lord has laid this message very heavy upon my heart tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Mark. And he entered again as the Lord Jesus. It was custom to be in the synagogue. He's entering again. He entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. That they might accuse him. They weren't a bit interested in the boy's malady or deformity or anything else. They were just watching to get a crack at Christ. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Well, that's what they were saying in their hearts, you see. He knew, he knew their hearts. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he says unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians. Let me read that again now. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. How they might destroy him. And we'll end the reading there. And the Lord will bless it to our hearts. Here we have, for the first time, a united front of two groups of people, an alliance, if you like, a coalition of two different types of people with one aim, and that was to destroy Christ. Now, I want you to get this into your mind tonight. These two different types of people were completely, diametrically, ideologically, politically, morally opposed to one another. If you can imagine tonight every DUP MP and every DUP uh, MLA joining together with Sinn Féin to fight an election, you would be coming nowhere near what this coalition was here. These were the extremes of extremes. 
I mean, Herod and Herod had these henchmen who were opposed. Herod and his whole regime of Rome were opposed to the Jewish system, were opposed with great hatred to the people, to the way of life, to the law. To the law. In fact, there. They were, the Pharisees went on record as saying that these Herodians were nothing but traitors. So that went on and always went on through the scriptures. I want to embed this in your mind tonight so that you'll see where, where I'm getting at tonight and the truth that I want to bring over and needs to be brought over. This started away back in, with the devil away back in, in the Garden of Eden. And it flowed over from the heart of Satan to Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Ishmael and Isaac, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Amalites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hamans, the Herods, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, the Palestinians, the Al-Qaeda, the Al-Kabab. Israel tonight is surrounded. She's surrounded She's an island surrounded by 21 Islamic nations all baying for her blood. This is nothing new. This is a coalition to destroy the gospel, to destroy Christ and destroy the word of God and destroy the Christian church, as you will see as we come to an end. As well as that, there was the false unity in the Tower of Babel. Started away back there. As Revelation says, a habitation of devils in a cage of unclean birds. Now ask you yourselves a question tonight, which I have been asking and studying. Why are these wicked Herodians, these uh, special service people that Herod had spying on the people, why are they linked up with the Pharisees and with the scribes and with the Sadducees? The resolve was, and I have said it, the resolve was to destroy the most holy and righteous man that ever lived and walked the broad acres of earth. The Lord Jesus Christ was so gentle that a bruised reed he would not break or a smoking fax he would not quench. He went about doing good healing the sick, the lame, the blind, caressing the children, calming the storm, calling sinners to repentance, casting out demons, what he was doing right up here in the early part of Mark's gospel. Whoever would utter words like, whoever would think of saying, is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to destroy life or to save it? The worst and the most base of men tonight wouldn't come out with that sort of thing at all because men have a conscience. There has to be an answer. There has to be an answer to this ungodly alliance that came about to kill and destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the Lord Jesus Christ was doing here was giving this man back the power of his right hand. Now Luke tells us it was his right hand. He was a physician. And scholars tell us that 
that this man was a secular scholars tell us this man was a secular this this man was was a, was a stonemason. Secular scholars tell he was a stonemason, and he happened with an accident that he lost the power of his hand, and by losing the power of his hand, it whistled up, and his hand was withered. Now here's a man, and he's in the house of God, and it's on the Lord's day, it's on the Sabbath, and here we have these boys watching this deformed man. Remember these Pharisees and scribes, they wouldn't have... They wouldn't on the Sabbath day have taken an ox out of a hole. They wouldn't have lifted an egg that a hen laid. They wouldn't allowed you to carry. The law said they couldn't carry a burden through the temple. But yet they're taking counsel here to destroy the lovely and the lowly Nazarene. Jesus says the strain at gnats and swallow camels. Surely that's the case. Now you say to me tonight, how on earth do we compare those days with these days? And my friend, I don't have any problem doing that tonight. None at all. You know that our government have legislated to kill the snail, that if we kill the snail it's unlawful, or the badger, or a tortoise. But they kill and they murder children wholesale up to nine months. If that's not straining at gnats and swallowing camels, what is? I heard of a teacher there just the other day who applied to school for a religious education teacher and when she was interviewed she told them that she'd be teaching the children the gospel and they didn't give her the job because they told her it would damage the minds of the children. Yet, yet, the same schools, the primary schools, are allowing them to change sex and have toilets for, uh, free toilets for everybody. And if you're a cat, you get a litter of three. Is that damaging the mind? You see the mindset that I'm trying to get over to you tonight. There's something behind all this. Do you know that there's 72 transgenders at the minute? Do you know also that Keith Starmer said the other day that he couldn't define a woman? That's going to be your next prime minister. Do you see this word destroy that's in the bottom of this verse here? Do you know this word destroy is the word to perish. It is the word to annihilate. It's, it's the word to wipe, wipe out for good. Listen to what I'm saying to you now. It's the same word used when the angels approached Sodom and Gomorrah and they said the Lord has sent us to destroy it. I tell you there's a band of politicians, there's a band of teachers, there's a band of people over our land tonight and they've been sent from hell to destroy the gospel. To destroy it. Anything to do with Christ, righteousness, holiness. They've been sent to, de to destroy it. Now I suggest to you tonight that this disabled man on the Lord's day in the Lord's house with a withered hand is the picture, a picture of the modern evangelical church in Britain tonight. Withered. Withered. Dried up. Whistled. Barren. Shrunk. Them's all the same words for it. 
W.P. Nicholson said something in his own crude way, of course, about a man one day. He said he had a face like a November cabbage. Well, if you have a November cabbage and it gets a dose of frost, I'll tell you it's not like very much. And the very heart of it's gone. You see, someone with a withered and whistled up and barren, they, they, they have no fruit. They have no life. They have no joy. Joel, Joel says the vine tree is dried up and withered and the joy is gone. But not only that, friend, they have no power for the right hand speaks in Scripture about power. And the right hand in Scripture speaks about authority and fellowship and work. You getting all those things tonight. That's the devil is seeking to, to eliminate. The moment the Lord Jesus moves into this house, into this house of God, into the synagogue, to touch, to heal, to breathe, to revive this man, to take the witheredness away, to take the barrenness away, to give him life, to give him dignity to let him back to work again, to earn for his family. The moment he does that, all hell breaks loose. All hell. Just doing something simple, something benevolent, something that's right to do. Old enemies come together to destroy it and to stop it. You'll see where I'm going in a minute. I want you to think in your mind's eye just now to 17-year-old David when he was anointed king and he was in the courts of King Saul. Remember he killed Goliath and the people sang David has killed, Saul has killed his thousands and David has ten thousands. And the old, jealous, bad-tempered Saul went mad. Do you know why he went mad? And he took the javelin and he tried to nail young David against the wall. And in Psalm 11, David refers to it. He says in Psalm 11, the wicked bend their bow and make ready the arrows to shoot at the upright in heart. You know how he was mad? Do you know how he was trying to kill him? He was losing power. You hear that? He was afraid of losing the power. Because Paul, David was anointed and he had the anointing. The other boy had lost the anointing. And the men around David at this time in Psalm 11 said to David, 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 you need to flee to the mountain. You need to flee. This man's going to kill you. And what did David say? He said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Or, or as Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee? See, this word foundation is the word settled in order forever. Never to be moved and never to be budged. Do you see this church here? It's sitting here and this new building that's going out the back, they're sitting on piles. And the reason that we had to pour hundreds and thousands of pounds worth of concrete into the ground to get these things to sit is because there was a river ran through here one time and you couldn't build on it. It wasn't a sheer foundation. And if the foundation be destroyed, if the foundation's not right, the whole thing comes down. Of course, that brings us only to one place. It brings us to Christ. 
Who other than the Lord Jesus Christ is the pillar and the ground of truth? Who other than him is the rock of ages? Who other than him is the speaking of in the scriptures is for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in Christ? It's not this poor, misfortunate, disabled soul that's worshipping the Lord on the Sabbath day that these parasites are after, it's after Christ. They must wipe out and destroy Christ before it takes root. Before the gospel can spread, before souls can be saved, they must wipe him out. That's why they come together. That's why they're coming together tonight. As you'll see as we come near the end. When these coalition of rascals know that they're losing the power and control and the people are following Jesus. And look at verse 8 and verse 9, if you may, in that reading that you want, and you'll see twice that there was a great multitude in verse 8. It says there was a great multitude. And on down the next verse 9, it says there was a multitude. They could see this. They could know this. This was happening. They didn't want this. That's why Herod the Great slew the boys under two years of age. Because whenever the wise men come and they were looking, where's the, where, they were looking for the king, and, and old Herod says, he says, where is he that is born? They said, the wise men said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And Herod, a king? I'm king. There's no other king, only me. That's why they eliminated the boys and the children. That's why they killed them. That's why they slew them. That's why Saul was slaying David, because they wanted, didn't want to lose power. And there was very little they could do about it. Are you, are you hearing me tonight? That right through the word of God, king after king was slain to keep them from the throne. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ when he came up out of the Jordan and the voice came from heaven, from God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was taken in the Spirit up into the mountain of temptation. And the devil knew that he was going to lose control. The devil doesn't like to lose control. He doesn't like to lose the grip. He doesn't like an evangelical church and evangelical Christians taking their, taking their stand and going, he doesn't like that. Knock it out of you somewhere or another. Remember, he brought him out onto the pinnacle of the temple and he showed him all the world. He said, I'll give you, if you bow down to worship, worship, worship. That's what they're after. You've seen a lot of it on Tuesday and Saturday, didn't you? Worship. Worship. The Lord Jesus took a stand and knew how to stand. Now, think of this. The Lord Jesus goes in on the Sabbath day into the temple. This man's there. There's a crowd of people there. Here, if you like, this man, he's a sinner. He's in the house of God. He's paralyzed. He can do nothing. He's of no use as far as his hand is concerned. 
Now listen to what happened. The Lord said to him, he says, stand up. Stretch forth thy hand, and he was restored. The Lord never touched him. He says, stand up, and he stood up. Stretch forth thy arm. There's nothing wrong with his arm. He was able to stretch forth his arm. And he was healed. How was he healed? There's only one answer, my friend, how this man was healed. It was by faith. By faith. He had faith to believe that if he did what the Lord said, that he would be healed. And he was. And I was too the day I had faith. You see, the power of faith was going to dismantle the Jewish religion. The whole business of works would be destroyed. If a man like Jesus Christ can come working miracles and doesn't have him have to touch a man, and just by a word he can save, he can heal, he can deliver, there'll be no need for the sacrifices. There'll be no need for the Torah. There'll be no need for the ritual and the tradition or the 630 regulations that they have. There'll be no need for the heifers and the bulls and the calves. There'll be no need to provide grace are you saved through faith. We're going into the depth of what their problem was. Romans 4 says we're justified. Abram was justified by faith and it was imputed unto him righteousness. You see, this day in which we're living in today, this very day, and you and I are living in, in the days of Charles, King of England, they can't touch Christ today. They can't slay him today. Nero can't burn them today. The 300 were burnt. 300 Bloody Mary burnt 300 martyrs for their stand for Christ. 1,500 covenanters, the blood ran down the heather of Scotland. And that was the lion. But the lion didn't work because the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And this is not the tactics of Rome now. This is not the tactics of Nero or Bloody Mary or any of them now. It's not martyrdom now. Now listen to what I'm going to say. It's not martyrdom now. It's ecumenism, Christendom, liberalism, and modernism. Not the lion, but the lamb. The wolf in sheep's clothing. That's our weapon tonight. And it's working mighty well. And the majority of the evangelical churches fallen foul to it, just like they did with COVID. The wolves in sheep's clothing, the false prophets, Peter says, have slipped in with damnable heresies. Jude says, they have crept in unawares. Listen to what he says, to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, 
To, that is to make the grace of God a license to lewdness and sin and immorality. This is the note today. Oh, they're saying to us, God is gracious and, and God is loving. And he is, he's all that, my friend, of course he is. But God is gracious and he's loving and he's merciful. And, and all he wants to see is love. But if he sees love, whether it's with them, two men or two women, it doesn't matter as long as he sees love. It doesn't matter. Well, I tell you, it matters plenty. If he sees two men uh, in love, marry them, ordain them, bless them. God just wants to see love. He, want, he, he enjoys the, This is the day they're turning, they're, turning, they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, into immorality, and into sin. They're making it a pattern for sin. God is gracious. God is merciful. This is what the Word says. That's why the Word says, the word says because they've tinkered and twisted at the Word to make it say that. You can agree with me if you like. And the greatest illustration of what I am saying before your very eyes was saw on Saturday. If you have a spiritual eye at all. These latter days of ecumenism were at its height on Saturday. The spirit of Antichrist, which is already working, is working big time to the worship of a king. Do you know what you're saying? Yes, I do. Every conceivable faith we're reading from the Scriptures. The Scriptures that they hate and despise. The Scriptures that they burnt in their millions. The Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhas, the Bahas, the Sunnis, the Catholics. Talk about the unclean birds in a cage. They were all there. Man, let me say this from the depth of my heart tonight as God has broken me over this message. Rome is not outside Smithfield and Oxford building up wood and burning Bibles. Nor are they burning the Tyndalls and the Ridleys and the Latimers and the Rogerses. These men wouldn't flee. These men stood their ground. These men didn't scarper. These men didn't give in. When the foundations were being destroyed, they stood. How should they flee? And they didn't flee, but they paid with it for their life. The watery church today that we have can't even come out to a prayer meeting. Oh, not at all, not at all. They're not burning them at the stake now. They're not burning the Bibles now. They're not, they're not burning at the Bibles now. What are they doing? They're in singing with them. 
They're in singing with them. And the call went out to us for us all to bow. That call went out. I'm not bowing. I tell you what you saw on Saturday. You listen to my heart now, it's from God. I tell you what we saw on Saturday and what we're seeing and hearing these days about this coronation and all went down. It's a trial run for the Antichrist. Just like COVID. Of course, when we said that about COVID, they maligned us, they hammered us, they wrote articles on us, they sent the police ten times to us. Well, we proved to be right. But all I'm hearing today from scientists and others that they should never have introduced the mass. Well, of course, everybody knew. Everybody said, oh, run, flee, scarper, get out of the road, we're going to die. Close down the churches, stop the prayer meetings, stop the children's meeting, And they've never recovered from it, many of them. And there's not one of them will apologize. This is the very same thing. This is a rehearsal for the Antichrist. And you mark my words, and when this goes out on the line, I'm sure I'll get hammered. But you mark my words, maybe after long I'm gone. They'll say he was right. Tells me in Revelation chapter 6 that the Antichrist comes on a white horse. I'm not saying Charles Antichrist. He comes on the white horse with a scepter. He comes with a bow but no arrows. That's the Antichrist now. Don't be getting them mixed up with the man on the other white horse. Revelation 6 is the Antichrist coming to open, when the seals have been opened and all hell is going to be break loose after the church is gone. And he's coming. He's coming with a bow but he has no arrows. No, no, the day of war is over. The hours are over for him at the minute. It's not going to be won by hours. It's going to be won by peace. That's what they're at. Peace. A trial run. A trial run, and they'll not have very far to go, let me tell you, when the church goes and he appears. They'll have all the worshiping and all the scraping and all done. Then ask yourself this question. If there's anything I'm saying tonight is from the Word of God, you ask yourself this question. How many of that crowd there uh, the other day in... in, in, in that place where martyrs are buried around them. How many of them believe in the virgin birth? That's the foundation. That's the foundation stone, the virgin birth. But on Westminster, Canterbury doesn't believe in it. How many of them believe in the virtuous life of Christ and his holy harmlessness? Not very many of them have any of them. How many believe in the vicarious death on the cross when he was, 
when he was nailed and hammered and butchered and crowned with thorns on the cross, many believe that he died for the sin of mankind. Ask how many of them believed in the victorious resurrection. Well, if you'd only lead at Easter, what some of them were saying. Ask them how many of them believe in the visible return of Christ. These are the foundations that are being destroyed. Not with guns and bombs. Not with the martyrs' fires. Not with the blood running through the heathers of Scotland. By peace. Peace. We have seen one of the greatest rehearsals of this century for preparing for the coming of the Antichrist. All we hear now is, oh, peace, reconciliation, toleration, equality. Keep everybody on board. Keep everybody together. Keep, everybody, keep them all. It doesn't matter what you believe. What we need to pray, my friend, and we should and we will, and thank God for praying people, what we need to pray is that the Lord Jesus Christ will step into the house and he'll touch the withered ones and the barren ones and the cold ones that he'll breathe life into the church again and that with one great army we can go forward to face this evil foe. Apostasy. Oh boy, you're tough tonight, not a bit. It happens to be, my friend, truth and many people believe it to be truth. Although they didn't with COVID and although they mightn't now, but we, they'll believe that this is right. This is all a camouflage. That's all it is. This is the way of joining together all the faiths so that Rome can have control at the end. What's going to happen? Where's Jenny Geddes, the wee servant girl in Scotland? who went into St. Giles Cathedral and the minister of the, of the Scottish Church was saying the Mass. She took a stool and she flung the stool and she fired the stool at him and she said, you'll not say the Mass in my lug. And it started the revolution through Scotland and called it the bloody, bloody Scotland. Where are the people like that today? That, not because they hate Catholics. Not because they hate the Hindus or the Muslims or anybody else, but truth to love. Are we going to be missiled? Are we going to be deceived in this hour of deception, of great deception, where Jesus said in Matthew 24, deception twice, Beware that men do not deceive you. At the coming of the Lord, there'll be a massive deception in the church. And it's all gearing up to the man on the white horse with the bow until he gets them all licking and scraping around him and then he'll turn 
and the mark of the beast will be ordered. Oh, how foolish we are. And one of the great reasons for this, my friend, is that the majority don't care. Well, I care. I care very deeply. I'll not be here all that long, but I care for these your children. I care for the young families of this church, and the young couples in this church. I care for them. I pray every day, early morning, late night, for everyone who has been named. Because I care for you. I can see this subtle, awful deception coming in. And as is in, and we're falling for hook, line, and sinker. Oh, may God pour out his spirit. May the Lord Jesus come in and touch that old dead winter cabbage and revive us again. That we may go forth against this organized satanical foe that has one aim, and that is to destroy the gospel, the blood, the cross, destroy it. And then go to any means to do it. Oh, for a John the Baptist, thank God, he was on the edge here, John the Baptist. Thank God for the one who stood the ground. Thank God for Zacharias and Elizabeth who carried on in the midst of all this Praying, walking righteously. Thank God for Simeon. Thank God for Anna who prayed and prayed day and night, waiting. All of them were waiting. Every one of them were waiting. Mary was waiting. Zacharias and Elizabeth was waiting. Simeon and Anna were waiting. John the Baptist was waiting. Waiting for the moment. The moment came. And all heaven opened. Twice it opened. Turned the whole thing upside down. Oh, let us pray tonight that heaven will open and that the Lord will come and touch us and revive us and set us on fire and destroy the wicked works of darkness that is all around us in these days in which we live. Let us pray. Father, I pray tonight that you'll take this message and that you'll guard it. Guard it, Lord, against the scoffers and the critics and the modernists and the humanists and the ecumenists. And all else will attack it, Lord. We pray that thou wilt guard it. We pray that thou wilt use it. We pray that thou wilt bless it as it goes out into thousands of homes. And we pray as a result there'll be an awakening. An awakening in the church to see the deception that we're in and the darkness that prevails as has been said by scholars even worse than Reformation times. Oh God, oh God, raise up Luther, Luther. Raise up Swingley, raise up Swingley and Calvin, Knoxes and Tyndale. 
And Jenny Geddes is that young servant girl who will stand and having done all to stand in the power of his might and his mighty power and to see a move of God across our dear land that has suffered so much. Oh God. Lord have mercy. Have mercy upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.